0: So we're looking at different characters from the Bible over the next, I think, six or seven weeks. It takes us to September. Um, different people from both the Old Testament and the New Testament Testament who display what we kind of class as heroic faith. And what we can learn from them or see from them. And today's guy um, is a story of a guy who I think is like one of the most unlikely heroes. In fact, I even hesitate to call him a hero, and you might too. Um, It's a a story that you might know if you went to Sunday school. If you've never been in Sunday school, there is zero chance of you knowing who this guy is because it's just not something that is talked about or something that we come across regularly. It's a guy who was a Syrian general, um, and he was healed by the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings. So it's 2 Kings chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, and I'm just going to read out the story. And this guy, he doesn't appear like a hero, but he does something incredibly heroic, I think, and something that I think is uh, really helpful for us all today. This is what it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the Syrians, or uh, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So, Naaman's a kidnapper, effectively. Um she said to her mistress, would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. So Naaman went in, told his lord, so told his own king, thus and spoke to the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his." Is and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a message to him and said... "'Go and wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, "'and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean.' "'But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, "'Behold, I thought that he would surely call out to me "'and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God "'and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. "'Are not Abana and Phartha, the rivers of Damascus, "'better than all the waters of Israel? "'Could I not wash in them and be clean?' "'So he turned and went away in a rage.' But his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, which is Elisha. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And then we read, "Behold," Naaman says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but the God in Israel. So it's this amazing story um, of this guy called Naaman. And Naaman is as great as you could be. Like if you could be top of the pops, everyone loves you, everyone thinks you're a hero, that would be Naaman, okay? That's what we're thinking of here. We're not thinking of people like me. We're thinking of like awesome generals. He, He goes into battle with valor. He's probably taken the lives of many men in battle it would be a hero to the Syrian people. Um, but despite all that, not even the least slave, not even the least person in all of Syria would change skin with him. So he's this awesome person, but he's got leprosy. Or what they think it might be is not necessarily leprosy as we know it today, but a huge disfigurement of his skin. Which would mean pain, which would mean irritation, which would mean all sorts of things. Despite his condition, he's a mighty man. And in one of these raids into Israel, for whatever reason, they've carried off some people. And one of the people they've carried off is a little girl. So they've kind of taken a little girl from her home, abducted her, if you like, with uh, the hoard and the stuff that they've won um, and taken them back to Syria. So he's hardly a hero. He's got servants. He's got these people serving that are not part of his family, and in verse 3, this Israelite little girl, bearing in mind that she's a slave and that she's been taken from her home, uh, she has a big God, and she says this in verse 3, would that my Lord were the prophet, or were with the prophet, so she's talking about this guy called Elisha, he would cure him of leprosy. Now, background here, Naaman, a man of huge status, a man of huge prestige, is going to have seen the best medics is going to have seen all the doctors that he could see. He is even going to have probably courted the magicians and the dark arts and all sorts of things in order to get a healing. And none of it has worked because he's still disfigured and he's still messed up. So this little girl says, Oh, there's a prophet where I used to live. He'll sort you out. And so Naaman goes, All right then. But that's going into enemy territory. That's going back to a place that he's plundered. get right. I mean, it doesn't seem like a good idea on paper, does it? Go into your enemy's territory to see a prophet who is a prophet for a different God to the one that you worship and get healed by him. It's a bit of a long shot. It's a bit of a risk, do you not think as well? But actually, something in there wants me to applaud Naaman in what he does, even as the Syrian general who is not one of God's people, because he starts really well. He goes for it. He takes steps towards God. How often if we're sick or we're poorly or we're, we're desperate, do we go the other way? Whereas Naaman here goes, okay, you're talking about this God person, I'll give it a go. You're talking about this prophet, I'll go for it. Maybe you're sat here this morning and you're thinking... Oh, well, I'm kind of sad, you know, I don't know. Well, here, Naaman starts really well, and he just goes for it. He gets a letter from his king to send a letter to Israel's king to say, I am Naaman, I have come here to be healed by Elisha, blah, blah, blah. He takes gifts with him, resources. Just to give you a scale, 10 talents of silver is 340 kilograms of silver. That's quite a lot, I think. I think that's quite a lot. 68... 6,000 shekels of gold, sounds like a lot more, but that's 68 kilograms of gold. But again, quite valuable, and he takes 10 outfits with him. Now, I think those 10 outfits are a gift to Elisha not because he changes out for every day, but he, he's got lots of wealth. He's taken 10 changes of clothes with him, as well as gold and as well as silver. And one might say he's on the right path. He's taken a chance as a Syrian general, taken a bit of a punt. I mean, a little girl has said to him, why don't you try this? And he's gone for it. You know, if my daughter, who's five, came up to me and said, Daddy, why don't you try this? I'd be like, yeah, but no. That's not a good idea. But here... Naaman's like, all right, I'll give it a go. We'll go and find this Elisha character out. He 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 goes to the king, which is the right thing to do. The king tears his clothes, which means the king is in sorrow. The king of Israel is like, Naaman is here not to be healed, but it's a trap. What's happening here is Naaman's going to go to Elisha. Elisha's not going to do anything. Naaman's going to send word to Syria. Naaman's upset. Syria are upset, and we're all going to die. And the Israelite king here has got a small view of God, but the Israelite girl in Syria has got a big view of God. Just because we're in the UK, just because maybe we've been brought up in a Christian home, just because sometimes we're under the kind of illusion that we live in a Christian country, actually is not always of great benefit to us. We think of countries and places where there's persecution and there's trouble and there's all this kind of stuff going off. That actually, they have a massive faith in God. The king here, the king of Israel, you'll read it if you follow the story in your Bible, after he tears his clothes, basically says that, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Like he, he, he kind of equates what's going on with Naaman to as if Naaman was dead and he needed to be brought alive. And he recognizes, actually, I've not got that in my armory. I've not got that within my power. And so he tears his clothes and he's he's paranoid and he's locked in paranoia that actually this is some kind of a trap that everybody is out to get him. And the reason he feels like that, the reason he feels the world is against him, the reason he's a bit paranoid and he thinks they're going to kill him is because he has a small view of God. Is because he's not seen God in the picture. He's just seen his own little situation. Yes, Naaman needs a miracle. And from a human point of view, it's not looking too good. But zoom out. Take some perspective. The king of Israel, of all people, should have been able to do that. And yet, he doesn't. And in our moments of frustration, in our lack of understanding, or even sometimes a bit of paranoia kind of creeps in, If we lose sight of God, that's when those things start to work their way into our mind that everybody's out to get me, nobody likes me, I'm unhappy, this person hates me, this person says this, this person says that. A little bit like Joe saying, I was surprised that people didn't say no. (laughs) Like we have this complex that comes into our mind that everybody's going to hate us and everybody's going to hate the message and we're never going to make anywhere. We're never going to get any traction and it's because our God is too small It's because we don't zoom out and get some perspective. We just see the immediate and we don't see the big picture. We have a God who is good, a God who is kind, a God who is just. And Elisha gets wind of what's going on. Look at this. This is verse 9. I want to read it because it's important. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stands at the door of Elisha's house. Can you picture it? Naaman's come. He's all covered in stuff, he's not pretty. He's got the hordes of people with him. He's got his horses. He's got his chariots. He's got his gold. I don't know how he carried that, but he's got his gold. He's got his ten outfits. And he knocks on the door of Elisha's pad. I've come all this way that I'd be healed. I've come all this way that no longer would I look like this and feel like this. And then this happens. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you'll be clean. Naaman was angry and went away. I mean, I can just picture myself doing this. I don't know if you can picture yourself doing this. You've come all this way, and Elisha can't even be bothered to open the door. Like he sent some little like messenger out, and he's told Naaman to go and have a bath seven times. So Naaman's angry and he goes away saying, you imagine it's under his breath. Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, our God. And maybe he'd wave his hand over me and I'd be miraculously healed. But you know what? Elisha can't even be bothered coming out of his house. I've traveled hundreds of miles to get here and he can't be bothered getting off his sofa. And Naaman goes away in a rage. Naaman goes away angry and he says, aren't the rivers in Syria, the rivers in Damascus, better than the river Jordan? I mean, have you seen it? It's Scumsville. In Syria, we've got beautiful rivers. Why couldn't I have had a bath there? Why couldn't he have said, like, by pitching? Why couldn't I have had a little note that came in the post? Why have I wasted all my time and wasted all this gold and wasted all this silver and wasted all this time? And Elisha sits on his bum, doing nothing. He turns away in a rage. And actually, I read that and I go, yeah, I'm raging just reading it. Like, if I'm naming, I'm upset. I'm upset for Naaman, who's traveled all this way. He's got his outfits. He's got everything ready for Elisha. And Elisha sat inside reading his magazine, sending his messengers out. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. We're told in verse 11, he's angry. And if we didn't think that was enough, in verse 12, that he went away in a rage. And this is why he's upset, I believe, because he's on his last resort. He's come to Israel for a miracle. And he gets angry with Elisha because actually the solution is not how Naaman had planned it. Naaman had this thing in his mind. I'll come with my horses. I'll come with my chariots. I'll come with my outfits and my gold and my silver. And Elisha will come out and he'll wave his hand over me. And it will be this beautiful thing and trumpets will go off and fireworks will happen. And I will be miraculously healed and the world will see that Naaman is awesome and instead a messenger comes out from Elisha's house and tells him to have a bath seven times. You can see how that's a bit disappointing and a bit upsetting. Here's a man who started really well. You see how he started well, he did the right things, he was heading towards God, and yet there's a subtle thing that leads him away. He gets to the door, and because he doesn't get the answer he wants, he turns aside and it's his pride. And you know what? Our pride, I believe, as, a, as something that gets in the way of our relationship with God is the biggest thing. The thing that we see most in other people and the thing we see least in ourselves is our pride. And that was Naaman's big problem. And the questions, rhetorical questions that I have for you to think about are these. What do we do When God doesn't act in a way that we expect him to. Maybe we had this plan. We had this idea of what life would look like. And then God does something completely different. How do we feel? We feel like Naaman here, like, oh, well, screw that. I might as well go and have a bath back in Syria. I'm not doing it here. What happens when God doesn't provide the answer Immediately or the answer that we were looking for immediately? What happens when we've got our story and our life and there's a disruption that we didn't see coming? Because there's things that have happened in my life that it was like, well, if I was to write the story of my life, it wouldn't look like this. And yet with hindsight, I can look back at things that happened in the past and go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. Now I've zoomed out a little bit. Now I don't need to be as chipped up as I was in the moment. What happens here is Naaman basically has been traveling so well. He's been traveling towards God. Maybe even he's been like thinking, yes, this is something I can put my trust in. I've heard about this God of Israel. I've heard about this prophet. There's something I'm interested in. And then all of a sudden deviates off. Doesn't like the answer he gets. And so changes path saying, I don't want to be in the scummy River Jordan. Now, I think it was Dorothy was telling me the other day. I was having a little chat with Dorothy, and uh, we were talking about the Middle East a little bit, and we got onto the River Jordan, and she was saying, like, back in the day, or in her experience of people that have been over there uh, and, and come back, that they used to, like, fuel them with pills. I don't think she said injections, but that sounds much more glorious. But, like, pills and stuff were thrown at people if you had a little bath in the River Jordan. Like... It's one of those rivers that you expect fish with three eyes to live in. You know, like the River (laughs) Hipper. I think it's like that. You wouldn't want to be, like, recreationally swimming in it. If you were going to have a bath, you'd probably want one bath. I don't think you'd want seven. And yet, that's what Naaman is faced with here. How am I going to be cleaned? How am I going to be... how am I going to be restored in a river where Tesco carrier bags float down it? How's that going to happen? How, how's that going to work? Back in my country, the rivers are green and blue and beautiful, and the dolphins talk to you. Here, carrier bags float. Scum floats on the surface. It's a horrible river. And so Naaman rejects God because he doesn't like the outcome. He wants to be healed. But he doesn't like the methodology. He doesn't like God's plan. He likes his own plan. The hand-waving stuff was what he wanted. So instead of pursuing it and getting healed, he gets the hump. And I'm not going to go into the full story here because I've I've shared the full story before. Um, But the day I was going to propose to my wife Grace was the day that I proposed to my wife Grace in the end. But we were in Latvia, in Riga, and been taking loads of photos all day. We'd been doing the touristy thing. It was a beautiful thing and it was a beautiful day and it was going to be a beautiful moment. We'd had our McDonald's breakfast just to set the scene. I'm not even joking. We had actually had a McDonald's breakfast, didn't we, on the day we, beautiful. Start as you mean to go on. And uh, and then we got pickpocketed, and the camera was stolen, and sunglasses were stolen, and some other stuff was stolen. And I remember getting to the side of the road, and I'm not sure you actually know the detail of what prayer went off in my head, um, but you know now. It was something like this. Well, God, I guess it wasn't meant to be today. There's no way I'm proposing today now. Please sort it out. Amen. And that's what I prayed uh, amongst with the Oh, this isn't very good um, at the side of the road. And then this woman, um, like literally moments later, um, came over with Grace's camera in hand and gave it back to us with all the photos from the day, and I was like, okay, maybe I should propose today then. But I genuinely wasn't going to get on with it and go that way that day because I got the hump. And yes, I got the hump with the woman who had stolen my stuff in the first place, but I got the hump with God as well. You know, I would prayed about it. I thought I was meant to get married to Grace. I thought this was meant to be this great day, and yet this had happened? These women had stolen my stuff, and it wasn't theirs, and they'd taken it, but then God overruled it, And the stuff came back, which was miraculous because they take it, whatever it is, pass it to the next person, and it's gone. And I just stood at the side, and I was just like, that's pretty mind-blowing. Like, okay, God, I get the picture. You're God, I'm not. That's sometimes a really good lesson to learn. Sometimes stuff happens in life, and we have to say, okay, you're God, I'm not. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. We have a choice. Because we're all going to have I don't get it moments, aren't we? Maybe we're in an I don't get it moment. I don't get why this is happening. I don't understand. And we have a choice when we get to that door and the messenger comes out instead of Elisha. Do we go, well, I'm not having any of this, this methodology, God. Or I'm going to trust you despite what it looks like. Naaman was angry and full of rage because it hadn't gone the way he wanted it to. That's pride. Pride. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, the, na- the reason Naaman turned away, as I've said, was his pride. And I, I think, I feel this anyway, I feel this in my own life, but I feel it for many of us actually, that it is our biggest blind spot. That if someone said to me, oh, you know, don't drink, don't do drugs. I'm like, that's fine, I can give up those things for Lent. That's easy. I can give up drinking for Lent because I don't really drink in the first place. It's not a problem. But if someone was to say, don't, be pr- don't have pride for Lent, now that would be a real challenge. Because actually it would cause you to start assessing your own blind spots, cause you to start assessing, why do I say the things I say? Why do I do the things I do? And actually, pride, I want if I was to sum it up as a definition, I think is preoccupation with self. And that can be good. I don't mean it's good. It's not a good thing. I mean like in a positive way, oh, look at me, I'm wonderful. Or in a negative way, oh, look at me, woe is me, everyone's better than me. Both are pride. Because one is like, oh, I need more stuff. And one is, look at all the stuff I have. Look at how great I am. World, worship me. That was Naaman. He was the hero. Hence, he had 10 outfits. Hence, he had all the gifts. Hence, he tried to buy people's affection. I've got all this stuff, Elisha. Heal me. Naaman's spirit is, I deserve this. I deserve attention. I deserve fame. I deserve healing. And so it needs to be in such a way so that it can be seen, so that I can be rejoiced in. It's a show and it's a performance. And you know what? I don't think God the Holy Spirit moves in a way that is showy and moves that in a way that is a performance. I really don't. I think he moves in the margins. He moves in a gentle way. Sometimes he can move in a really full on way and it's quite like, what is going on here? But I don't think it's ever a show. I don't think it's ever a Come on down, we're gonna experiment with this and experiment with that and say this and say that. It's not a performance. It's not a show when we're dealing with God. And we read 1 Peter 5.5 5 when we talk about pride. And these are scary verses, it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know, when we're full of pride, when we're preoccupied with self, we're going against heaven. That's that's what those verses mean. We go against God. He doesn't like it when we put ourselves at the center of the universe. I think it's C.S. Lewis that says this. It says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. So often we think humility is like, Oh, woe is me. I'm not as good as I No, you're gifted. No, you're full of character. You're full of beautiful gifts and stuff. If you've got them, use them. If you're a communicator, a communicate. If you play the guitar, play the guitar. If you sew, sew, whatever it might be, do it. Don't be like, oh, I can't do it. I'm rubbish. You can do it. Humility isn't like, I'm so rubbish at this. But humility is thinking of yourself less. I said the opposite is also pride, a preoccupation with yourself, but negatively, it's not humility. And it, this might manifest in yourself perhaps with I don't deserve this, I don't deserve that, nobody loves me, everyone is out to get me, look how much better they are than I, look how much this person loves them compared to me. Both of those extremes where we um say I deserve this or I'm entitled to this or it has to go this way or I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I can't do this, I can't do that. Both of them are preoccupation with self and both of them are occupied with self-righteousness. Both of them revolve around making ourselves right whether that's in comparison to other people, either being less than them or better than them. And actually the good news of Jesus is Actually, it's not our self-righteousness that gets us right with God at all, but it's the righteousness of somebody else. So actually, our pride and all this kind of stuff can just be done away with because we don't go after making ourselves greater or, or less than we are, but we look to the one who was perfect and came for us. There's this story that I came across, and it says this. There were three young men who hopped onto a bus... A true story, I believe, in Detroit back in the 1930s and uh, being three young men tried to pick a fight with the guy sitting at the back of the bus because we know the cool kids always sit at the back of the bus. So they needed to pick a fight on this guy. So they insulted him, but he didn't respond. They turned up the heat of the insults and yet this guy said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. He was bigger than they had estimated from his seated position, much bigger, he reached into his pocket and handed them his business card and walked off the bus on his way. As the bus drove on, the young men gathered around the card to read the words, Joe Lewis Boxer. They tried to pick a fight with who would go on to be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world on a bus in Detroit at night time, probably, for dramatic effect. Here is a man of immense power and skill, capable of defending himself and his honor with a single devastating blow, which could probably knock out all three of them. You know, one of those. And he chose to forgo it in order to benefit others. He chose to go, I'm not going to use this. He put it to one side. And in verse 13, you'll see this. And this is the point where I get to that I actually think naming is heroic. Because given how angry and chipped up he is. Now, if you've ever been angry or upset with someone, or angry or upset with God, or angry or upset with a situation, how hard is it to calm down and climb down from that? It's really hard, isn't it? You know when you've had an argument with someone and you argue and you argue and you get to the point of like, I don't even know what we're arguing about anymore, but I'm still going to say it in an aggressive voice. <laughs> because it's so hard to climb down, isn't it? It's so hard to say, you know what, I might be wrong here. That's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Right? Looking blankly at me, maybe it's just me. <laughs> maybe I struggle with that. That it's really hard to say, oh, I've got this wrong. Yet here in verse 13, this is bullshit. These guys deserve a medal. Naaman's servants call Naaman out. Naaman's servants are like, excuse me, boss, father, squire, sir, oh, glorious one of 10 outfits, you may have got this wrong. He did say you could be restored still. And you know what Naaman does, you know why he's a hero, he listens. You know the ability for us when we're angry and we're upset to stop and listen and change? That's what our faith looks like. That's what a heroic faith looks like. That When we don't understand what's in front of us, when we don't understand why we've got to this place and God would allow this to happen is to say despite it I'll still trust you I might be feeling angry I might be feeling upset right now but you know what I'm going to put that to one side and I'm going to lock my eyes once again on you God I'm going to obey what you have to say even if it sounds weird even if I don't understand the moment I'm in and why and Naaman humbles himself he says okay I'll do it as bizarre and weird And as angry as I am, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna do it. And you know what? He goes into a dirty, sweaty river seven times. And you know, one of the worst feelings I think for me is if you go swimming and you get out of the pool and you get dry and then you have to get back in your wet gear again, or like you get out of the sea and you're getting nice and warm and you've gotta go back in again. Seven times he goes for a dip, seven. Like, and you must be thinking, that takes some faith to do that because by, by, by wash four, I'd be going, da, 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 da. no, I'm still looking exactly the same as I did the three washes that have already taken place. This isn't working. And yet he carries on. He carries on. And after the seventh time, you know what happens to Naaman? He's completely healed. And it says he's got the skin like a little child. You know, like the skin you see on those adverts where it's like all cute and, oh. You know, just that baby skin that you use dove moisturizer to try and replicate, but it never gets you there. All right. Some of us do that. I've got eczema. It's fine. Naaman is healed and he gets life. He had turned his back on the very one who could give him life. But he stopped, he listened, and he went. And you know what? If we started really well, maybe you started really well with your journey with God. Like, maybe you grew up in the church, I don't know. Maybe you've come to faith and it's been really exciting, you've started really well, but there's a bump in the road. You can't see what's in front of you, you don't understand why you're in this moment. You don't like the moment you're in even. The same happened for Naaman, and we have a choice in those moments. Are Actually, am I going to believe God is who he says he is? Am I going to believe that there is a God of love who loves me so much that he sent his son? Or will I just turn around and reject it? Because you know what? God doesn't turn his back on us. We turn our back on God. We know that, right? When we're saying, oh, God hates me and he's turned his back on me, he hasn't. You've turned your back on God. He hasn't turned his back on you because he gave his one and only son for you because that's how much he loves you. You know, I think there's a few things we can learn from the life of Naaman is that it's a good thing sometimes to get a little nudge. You know, if we're on that wrong path, if we're we're, we're angry, we're raging, we're turning the wrong way, don't get angry with the person who gives you a little nudge and say, maybe you should listen to the big man. Maybe that is God speaking to you. Maybe you should hear his voice. Maybe you should obey even though it doesn't make much sense in the moment that you're in. We all need that a little time, don't we? We all need that kind of little prod, little jab in the ribs that goes, ooh, yeah, maybe I've turned my back here. Maybe I need to get myself right with God. For me, you know, and I've hand on heart, I can say this, I believe, uh, it's really good for me to lose. Honestly, it's really good for me. It does my soul good for me to not win everything. Sometimes. It doesn't mean I like it, but it's good for my soul. Because I don't get so, oh, look at me, I'm the best footballer ever, even though neither of my knees work. That, That moment doesn't come because I lose. Losing is okay. That's why I'm a big fan of competitive sports on a side, because it teaches us how to win well, but it can also teach us how to lose well. little plug for kids getting involved in some sport there. There you go. Didn't see that one coming when you came to church. But actually, there's kind of some practical kind of things for us there. Like for me, it might be the ability to lose well, and that's a good thing. But actually, humility for us might be crossing the room to apologize to someone, even if we feel we've done nothing wrong. That's what humility looks like, being the one who crosses the room. Like, Joe might have offended me, probably, and I might have done nothing, but I know our relationship's a bit like, I don't know, it's a bit edgy and a bit tense. I cross the room and I apologize for that. I hold my hands up and say, I got that wrong, mate, I'm sorry. Whatever it might be, diffuse the situation. That's what humility looks like, not as a show, not not out the front with the microphone. But it might be for you crossing the room for someone. It might be your reputation taking a bit of a hit because you, you believe in Jesus. And you haven't been bold enough to kind of talk about that because you think, what will people think of me? What will they say at work if they know I'm a Christian? That might be what it could be for you. Or even it might be this, you know that one person at work that nobody has any time for? I mean, if it's not you, you know the other person at work that nobody has any time for? You know that one, yeah? It might be going to hang out with them. It might be standing with the marginalized and the broken and saying, yeah, I love you. We'll walk with this together. We'll, we'll, you know, I'll spend time with you. Ultimately, humility looks like laying down our life, laying down our cause to take up the greatest cause ever, which is following after God. If you can give your life to one thing, it's the gospel of Jesus. It's the proclamation of that. It's the loving people in a way that God would have us love. That's heroic faith. Naaman's testimony is this. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. In other words, what he's saying, there is no God other than the God of the Bible. That's Naaman's conclusion as a Syrian general, that there is no God other than the God of the Bible. And the question, I suppose, just to wrap up on, and we'll sing one song, I think, just to close will be this is will that be your story that despite life despite stuff despite misunderstanding despite not knowing why you get to the door and you feel like you're being sent a curveball and it's not the answer you were looking for is the choice you are the choice you are faced with then is do I follow after God relentlessly anyway or do I turn my back on him and a heroic faith here is even when we're angry even when we're upset climbing down And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Loving your enemies, pretty hard. Climbing down when you're a bit chipped up and angry, really hard. But I think it's heroic. And I think that's what Naaman does here so well. And then he goes back on his journey to Syria. And that's all we see of him. Other than Jesus holds him up in Luke chapter 4 as an example of someone who has faith and as an example of someone who was healed when everyone else around doubted. The angry man who turned around is the one that Jesus holds up and names in Luke 4. Isn't that amazing?